0: And that leads me now to introduce our speaker, Pastor Wayne Okamachi, who will continue in our series Better Together and talk about Christian charity and how that is what God intends us to do and there are blessings that come from it. So why don't we give Pastor Wayne a warm CLC welcome. All right. Thank you. All right. Welcome. I'm glad to see all of you, or at least part of your face. If I've known you for a long time and I don't recognize you, please forgive me. It could be because of my faulty memory. It's a little hit and miss right now. It could be because you're wearing a mask, or it could be that you look a little different now. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm happy to be here. I, I did uh, serve this church for 17 years from 1983 to 2000. It was a tremendous honor and privilege. My wife, Tina, is here as well. And um, I still remember when we moved to this sanctuary, uh, 1994. I think it was September 1994. And um, I understand now, everybody knows this, right? That you're moving? Okay, everybody, that's, that's not a secret. Is it? Okay. So when we were driving over here uh, this morning, I was talking with my wife, Tina, and saying, wow, this is probably the last time we're going to be here at... Grand Avenue SDA, and it's been a good, wonderful long run, 28 years, almost 28 years, and uh, so thankful because I remember when we were praying about being able to relocate from our small facility in Berkeley and to move to a place that would be uh, able to accommodate the growing church. Anyway, so last time around here at Grand Avenue, uh, in the response to the call of God 22 years ago, our family left the Bay Area and this church that we had uh, loved so long, And uh, we moved to the Pacific Northwest because God called us to plant a new church up there, and we did that. The church is called Lighthouse Christian Church. It's in Bellevue, Washington, near Seattle. And five and a half weeks ago, five and a half weeks ago on May 31st, I retired after 42 years of pastoral ministry. And I served uh, three churches during those 42 years, Anaheim Free Methodist Church in Southern California, And then here at Christian Layman Church, 17 years, and then the last 22 years up at, at Lighthouse near Seattle. I recently heard a friend in our church in Seattle, and he said this. Actually, he was one of our leaders, and he said this. Going to church online is just as good as being there in person. Now, what do you think about that? Do you agree or disagree? Going to church online is just as good as being there in person. Okay, let's take a little straw poll. How many of you would say, uh, that's true, going to church online is just as good as being there in person? How many of you would say, yes, I agree with that? Okay, how many of you would say, no, I kind of disagree? Okay. All right, now, what do you think would happen if we took that same poll with the people that are watching online? (laughs) Okay, we might have a very uh, different result. Now, I am so glad that this church, as well as our church in Seattle, are able once again to gather in person. And I am so glad that uh, your church, as well as my church in Seattle, are also continuing to stream worship online. And I think that's a great help and a great outreach for, for many people uh, that for one reason or another cannot attend in person. Uh, for example, uh, one of the things that happened during COVID was my sister who lives in Florida started, quote, attending our church online, which was pretty cool because I think it had been some years since she had been going to church, but. Now she's sort of part of our cyber church, and and I just love that. So there's some wonderful things about being able to do church online. And those of you that are watching online, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're with us. Uh, But when it comes to church involvement, in many ways, I think we're more engaged when we're physically present. And uh, there was a time during COVID when our church in Seattle, we were um, were filming our, our worship service on Saturday morning at our church office and just a handful of people in the room and you know during early COVID we were so careful like the worship team would come into the room and film their worship and then they would leave before I entered the room to give the message you know we were being very cautious and careful and then our tech people would edit it all together and then show it on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. so um Anyway, that was pretty good, but th- during those months, I got in the habit, you know, I would usually be at the church, at the service in person on Saturday with a handful of people in the room, and then I would watch it the next day, you know, even though I already knew what happened, I had already been there in person, but I would watch it the next day. And this is what I found. I loved being able to, you know, watch the service online. And, you know, didn't always love to watch my sermon, but anyway, <laughs> this is what I found, though, that it was, uh, it was really hard to focus To me, one of the biggest differences between church in person and church online is the level of engagement. And I have to confess now, I can confess now that, uh, boy, there were times on Saturday morning, we're scrambling to get ready to turn the TV on and the computer on to watch service online at 10 a.m. And I have to confess, sometimes during the first song, I would be going to get my coffee and during the second song, I would be making my oatmeal and eating my oatmeal during, this, during the sermon, sometimes my own sermon. Anyway, it, it was all cool. And I'm glad for the opportunity to watch online. However, I did find this, that it was harder to give my undivided attention to the Lord and to worshiping the Lord. It was harder to focus. There were a lot more distractions and all of that. So, so I feel like one of the big differences is the level of engagement. And I actually felt like in the early months of COVID, when most of our churches went online and that's all we had was online service that engagement was was not too bad at first, but it was kind of a unique experience and we were all into it and we're all trying to be flexible and, and you know, maintain church even though we can't be there physically in person together. But this is what I found. I think by the second year, the level of, engage, of engagement had really gone down. So let me mention this. Why gather when it's more comfortable and more convenient to just watch online? And I, I, I thought of three things. One is the level of engagement I think is, is much more heightened when we're in person. The second thing, though, is the level of connection. Connection with God, but also connection with each other. You know, so often in the New Testament, we are exhorted to uh, behave in certain ways toward one another in the body of Christ. And those one another sayings are very common. You know, like we are to uh, accept one another, we're to love one another. We're to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. We're to encourage one another. We're to serve one another. We're to build up one another. All these things, it's a little hard to do that when we're just a cyber community. And so I feel like we, our, our level of connection and our opportunity to build community is much greater if we're in person. Best definition I ever heard of community. What does community mean? Uh, I like this. Community means to love and be loved and to know and be known and to serve and be served, and to celebrate and be celebrated, right? To know and be known, to be loved and be loved, and to serve and be served, and to celebrate and be celebrated. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's just more, much more engaging to do that if we can possibly be in person. So no condemnation for people that are, that are you know, online. But I feel like, you know, if it's possible, you know, if you don't have health issues and if you live in proximity, uh, if you can, I I really encourage you to to come in person. This is what I found in our church in Seattle. When we started uh, opening up more in person, uh, it was so fun. It was like, wow, engagement, energy, connection. It was pretty cool. So I think that uh, if you can come in person, I encourage you to do that. I think you'll find a much greater level of engagement and connection and community and also contribution contribution. If you think about it, God made us for two purposes, to uh, connect with him and with others, and to contribute, right? Steward the earth, rule over the creation, uh, be the stewards of God's gift, use your gifts in order to build up the body of Christ, use your gifts to serve other people. And so I think in many ways, connection and contribution can be greatly enhanced if we're in person. All right, enough about that. Uh, you have been studying, I, I've heard, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47, which is one of the great passages in the Bible about the church and the early church. And I want to read it again because I think this is a picture of the beautiful community. Most of us, we want our churches to be a beautiful community, right? A place of, of vibrancy and wholeness and health and love and, and energy. And, and listen to this description. I'm actually going to read Acts 2, verses 41 to 47. This beautiful community where we see engagement... We see a connection, and we see contribution, people contributing what they have for the good of the community. Okay, Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message, this is uh, Simon Peter's message, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's good church growth, 3,000 people baptized in one day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Beautiful community. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then there's also evangelism. There's outreach. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who are being saved. What a snapshot of a beautiful community. The people are engaged, the people are connecting with God and each other, and they are contributing. Now, I want to focus on on two verses in this passage today, and my message is called, Be Generous, Be Generous. But in verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I want to point out, this is not a legalistic commandment. This is not like the apostles standing in front of the congregation saying, now everybody sell your property and possessions and give to everyone who had need. It was not a legalistic, top-down, authoritarian command. You know what was happening here? I think this is a natural expression of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the new community. A natural expression of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the community. These people are encountering Jesus and Jesus is transforming their lives. And Jesus is changing the way they view themselves, other people, and the way they view their property and their possessions. And I know that because a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, there's another description of the early community. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 36. This is what it says here. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is a picture of the emergence of a beautiful community. And it's marked by unity. Right? Uh, They're one in heart and mind. It's marked by unselfishness. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. It's marked by sharing. They shared what they had. It's marked by caring for the needy persons among them. And it's marked by generosity. And when all that comes together, verse 33 tells us, and God's grace, God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. And I love that. God's grace powerfully at work among God's people. So this is what I want to say today. When the people of God are generous with their resources, then wonderful things happen. Right? Needs get met. The church becomes beautiful and strong. The poor get cared for. God gets glorified. And people are attracted to that kind of church. It's a beautiful community. Now, I want to tell you this story this morning about an Asian-American girl who grew up in a church much like this one, Christian Lehman. And her name is Naomi. And here's her story. My story starts in 2007 when my roommate, who has long had a heart for... When my roommate, she was a college student, when my roommate, who had long had a heart for Africa, decided to lead a missions trip to Uganda. And while in Uganda the previous summer, she had built a partnership with a ministry serving orphans and now planned to bring some of her peers, other college students, to learn from and to support the work. Well, she told me about it, and I didn't want to go. Naomi says, I was 19 and just beginning to learn about deepening, about depressing, overwhelming issues like world poverty and unjust global capitalism, and perhaps understandably I was feeling depressed and overwhelmed by it all. I felt guilty about my privileged life in middle-class America and resentful of the fact that I felt guilty, which just made me feel worse. I was pretty sure I wasn't supposed to feel like I did, and I was pretty sure that going to Uganda to see the source of my guilt firsthand was not going to help. I can see now that I was way more concerned about keeping my comfortable world intact than I was about pursuing the heart of God. So months passed, and we started preparing for the trip as a team, and I continued to struggle with feeling guilty about, quote, the poor in Africa, and resentful of the voices in my head that made me feel so judged. I was upset with God that he would let people around the world suffer so much, and upset with myself for doing nothing about it. The trip came at the end of what was for me an exhausting summer working with high school kids. And as I prepared to go, I found myself complaining About the inconvenience of going to Africa, the expenses of travel, and all the fun and relaxing things I could be doing instead. But a few days after we arrived, after some jet lag and a food adjustment period, something magical happened. I began to experience a supernatural joy. I just felt so free and so alive. And I loved working, I loved walking around the town and peering into the stores and restaurants so different from home. I loved listening to fiery sermons at the local church and letting my voice blend with the joyful, sorrowful praises of those around me. I loved chatting with the Ugandan teenagers at the orphanage and dancing with the kids. I was experiencing so much and my heart was expanding. I expected my sense of guilt to to increase as I got to know people in Uganda and was able to put faces to heartbreaking statistics. But what I didn't expect was to be speechless with admiration at the strength of the people I was meeting. I didn't expect to find these people on whose behalf I had been so angry with God to have unshakable faith in a good God who loved them. I didn't expect to see each dirty, smiling face so unmistakably marked with God's grace. God reminded me that he is powerful and that he powerfully and proactively loves his people, the poor, the sick, the orphans, The people of the world tends to trample over and forget, as I realized the depth of his passion and the magnitude of his power. My burden of guilt began to lift, and in its place, I found hope and I found friendship by far, my favorite part of our Uganda trip was getting to know individuals. I was pleasantly surprised by how much we could connect across cultures, particularly, I got to know a girl named Irene at the time she was nineteen and had been living and ministering at the orphanage for about a year. She was leading Sunday school for the kids, teaching Bible stories and songs, and helping them develop these beautiful relationships with God. Initially, I was struck by how similar we were. We were the same age. We both loved kids. We loved to teach. We were involved in ministry. We loved to sing and lead worship. We spent a lot of time singing and laughing together. But as my friendship with Irene developed, I realized that despite our similarities, our lives had been drastically different. I was a sophomore in college in the US, trying to choose between numerous majors and career options, warm and well-fed in a nice apartment close to my wonderful parents. Irene, I learned, had lost both of her parents to AIDS. She shared her story with me. She told me how she committed herself to Jesus when she was 12. She lost her father when she was 8, and she lost her mother when she was 10. At 12 years old, she committed her life to Jesus. But she also told Naomi how she was beaten at home in an effort to make her renounce her faith. But she refused to renounce her faith. And when I expressed my admiration for her strength, she looked into my eyes and she said, How could I pick anything above my glorious God? and she shared about losing her parents, and we cried together. She told me of days waiting outside the school gate because she was unable to pay school fees after her parents died. And when her grandparents were no longer able to support her, she found work in a neighboring village, only to be denied wages after months of work. After this, she decided to spend her time volunteering at the local orphanage. And that's where I met her, serving AIDS orphans, not unlike herself, with great faithfulness and love, and she dreamed of being a doctor, but had no way to pay for school. Over the course of the trip, I felt God prompting me to pay for Irene's university fees. This is a 19-year-old college student. I felt God prompting me to pay for Irene's University fees, I recognized that the difference in our lives and prospects for the future were largely simply a result of where we happened to be born. The sense of entitlement I had melted away as I realized how little I'd done to deserve the opportunities I'd been born into. Earlier that year, I'd been paralyzed with stress about college tuition, college funding, and scholarship applications, but now I realized that I was rich in options. I had the opportunity to apply for scholarships, hold a part-time job, and take out student loans in order to pursue the education that would open up the world for me. Irene, although she wanted education more than almost anything, had none of these options. It didn't make sense that I could go to school, that I could work toward my dreams for the future, and she could not. It didn't make sense for the giftings and ambitions of this intelligent, godly young woman to waste away as a result of her poor family background and social economic status or her gender. How easily the situation could have been flipped. What if Irene had been born in America and I had been born a girl in Uganda? Wouldn't I hope and pray that she in her abundance would share her resources with me? We had become friends, And nothing seemed more natural than sharing my resources with her. I'd finally grasp that they weren't really mine anyway. This was not charity. It was a just redistribution of wealth. I realized that I could live my life limited by fear, always worrying about uh, that there wouldn't be enough, or I could choose to lean in faith on a God of abundance. I wasn't sure where the money would come from, but I had faith that God would provide. In my new view of the world, the cost to me of a few extra student loans paled in comparison to the ways that that money could change the world for and through Irene. And while in Uganda, I met people who had unbelievable faith in the goodness and provision of God, even in the midst of their dire circumstances. I wanted to be one of those people. I wanted to cling to God the way they did. near the end of the trip I sat down with Irene and I told her about what God had been laying on my heart she sat there overcome just whispering Jesus oh Jesus although she had never asked anything of us I learned that she had been praying for years that God would provide school fees she had applied to medical school and gone to her admittance interview in faith trusting that somehow God would provide the way for her to go In Christian circles, we often talk about God's resources being unlimited. But for the first time, I realized that some of his unlimited resources have been entrusted to me. We rode a taxi into town and set up a Western Union account for her. I paid her first semester, her first semester school fees. And I shook my head in amazement of the way that God was unfolding his plan. I traveled home back to the US and I shared about Irene with my family and some friends. With some help from them, I was able to pay for Irene's second semester of school as well. And a year after returning from Uganda, God opened his floodgates of scholarships to me and I received enough funding not only to cover my senior year of college, but to cover Irene's final two years of school as well. I was astounded. Where did this money come from? God was clearly not joking, when he assured me that he is the provider, that he is powerful, and that he gives good gifts to his children. Irene and I have been in contact for years now, and about her life at the university, she wrote this, Life has changed, and hope of life is so high, I now see a future full of fruits, spiritual fruits. This has changed my life, and I feel so different, so happy, and the joy of the Lord is great in me. Well, so Naomi, Naomi concludes her story. She says, Her dream, Irene's dream for the future, is to open a children's clinic and children's home to serve AIDS orphans because, as she says, I know what it means to be an AIDS orphan. It's great pain, and they need hope of life and love. I had the torture of this, and I feel I should show this love that I missed to these kids. And there was a great need for healthcare professionals like Irene who are willing to serve AIDS orphans who face tremendous prejudice in the mainstream Ugandan healthcare system. And Irene is also, and she has since saved up funds to enable her siblings, they're all orphans, uh, to also go to school. And then Naomi writes this. She says, every once in a while, I stop and think about Irene and these brothers and sisters and hundreds of kids that we encountered in Uganda in need of hope and health care. And I think to myself, you know, partnering, partnering with Irene may just be the most significant thing I'll ever do. Could it be that God can use my $6,000 to transform the future of Irene's entire family? Could God really use my small, act of just, uh, my small act of obedience to give health and hope to orphans thousands of miles around the world? That has since happened. And Irene did finish school. She's now a medical worker in her country. She has started a medical clinic, and they're serving many children. Malaria is a huge problem over there right now, as well as COVID. But she has a medical clinic, and Irene also has started a school in a place where many children cannot afford the fees to go to school. And she's also started a church where there have been hundreds of people that are are coming to Jesus. Naomi writes this. And to think I could have so easily missed out on all of this. God has been so faithful in honoring my choices to obey him even when they're small, fearful, or reluctant. And he's used these choices to change me. Every time I wire Irene money and I watch my bank account dip, it hurts just a bit. But that feeling is a good and much-needed reminder that his money, that my money is God's, and that it is entrusted to me to love people in his name. And it reminds me that God provides and that he calls me to live in the freedom and joy that only comes when I place all my security in his love for me. Who knows what God will do in us and through us when we give him our whole selves? 2 Corinthians 16 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. The eyes of the Lord search the earth that he may strongly support, that he may bless, that he may fill, that he may invigorate and empower those whose hearts are completely his. I don't want to miss out on that. Well, I mentioned that Naomi grew up in a church like this one. That was not entirely accurate. She grew up in this church. Christian Layman Church. And Naomi is her name, but it's her middle name. Some of you know her by her first name, Rachel. And her full name is Rachel Naomi Ogimachi. And she grew up at Christian Layman until our family left to go plant a church in Seattle when Rachel, our oldest daughter, was turning 13 years old. Proverbs 11, verses 24 to 25 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A promise of God. I love Irene's story. We're in touch with her. Our daughter, Rachel, continues to support her and help with her website. And uh, her, ministry, her ministry in Uganda is called Daystar International Ministries. And you can read there not only Rachel's story, but Irene's story, as well as a lot of other stories on their blog, daystar-em.org, Daystar International Ministries. But I've never met Irene in person, but I know her through messaging and through emails and uh, through her website. But to me, it reminds me that uh, you never know what God has planned. You, know, you never know what God can do with one person who is available to him and who just cries out to Jesus. One person who d- dedicates their whole life and her whole future to the Lord. It reminds me that I think each of us has something grand to do. We're not all going to be famous or influential, but, but there's an influence God wants you to have in some life, some lives, to be a blessing to the church, to care for those in need, to further God's mission in the world. You know, the message today is just about be generous. Be generous. You will be blessed. And God will use your generosity in significant, even amazing ways. Who knows? God will use your generosity with your time, your talent, your treasures. God will use your life to love people and to love God and to serve the world. Let me give you this scripture. This is a scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And these are beautiful words. Remember this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you, each of us, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And when the people of God are generous with their resources, when we are generous with our resources, then needs get met, the poor get cared for, the church grows strong and beautiful and healthy and vibrant, and God gets glorified. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord, your intent, I believe, today is not that we would feel guilty, but maybe that we might be moved, that we might be grateful, Lord, for the tremendous ways that you have blessed us, provided for us, met us at our point of needs, been there for us in our times of hurt. And Lord, you know the needs on our hearts. You know the cares that we have. You know the worries that we carry. You know the fears that sometimes can grip our hearts. But I pray today, Lord, in Jesus' name, by the power of the resurrected Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, set us free, Lord, that we need not live in worry or fear, that we need not be gripped by our needs, but that we would be the people of faith, that we would live for you and trust that as we give ourselves to you, you give yourself to us. That to those who give God everything, God gives Himself. And thank you, Lord. May we be the people of freedom. May we be the people whose security lies in you. And may we be the people whose heart break for the things that break your heart. May we be the people who are passionate about the things that you care about. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for the great privilege and the great opportunity to be generous for our blessing, for the blessing of the world, and for the glory of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.